Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. We're going to tell you the story of Cherry Mahan. This was requested by one of our listeners, Steph Press. Steph, thanks for listening, and I hope we do this story justice. It's a Friday afternoon. The kids are all done with school for the week and anxious to start their weekends. Most will be up for Saturday morning cartoons along with a bowl of cereal, but that won't be the case for eight-year-old Cherry Mahan. It was February 22nd, 1985 in Cabot, Pennsylvania. Snow was on the ground when Cherry got off the bus with three other children. Cherry was dressed in a gray coat, a blue jean skirt, white lid tarts, blue leg warmers, beige boots, and cabbage patch earmuffs. This was the 80s, and it sounds like she and I would have the same taste in clothes, sadly. I've never had the cabbage patch earmuffs, but I did buy some for my sister one year. Sorry, I got a little off track. So Debbie Burke was waiting at the bus stop in her car and picked up the three other children. Cherry was just 125 yards from her driveway at the time. It was around 4.10 when the children were dropped off. Debbie said she left with the other kids, but waited until Cherry was past the car. That would be the last time anyone ever sees or knows of Cherry. Janice McKinney, Cherry's mother, says she usually meets her at the bus stop. And that day, her husband, Cherry's stepfather, asked, if she wanted him to go meet Cherry at the bus. And she said, no, just let her walk. It's a nice day. This would be something that would haunt her forever. So you said that it was only 125 feet from their house. Could they see her like from their house when she was getting off the bus? No. So this was a rural rural area and they lived in a trailer tucked back in the woods. They had a very long driveway and due to all the trees surrounding the home, you just couldn't see the bus stop from their home. Her mother said that you could hear the bus on the hill, but not down below. She was last seen walking up the road to her driveway, which was said to be about 75 yards, and then the driveway was about 50 yards up a steep dirt path, and it usually took her about 10 minutes to walk from the bus stop to her home. So not long after Cherry should have been home, One of her friends called. Janice was cooking dinner and at the time and her stepfather went down the hill to look for her. He, of course, couldn't find her and they called the police and they began to look for her. This is a small town currently with about 4,000 residents. I'm not sure what it was in 1985, but by sundown, they had about 250 volunteers looking for Cherry. As I understand, Steph's parents were among the crowd looking. So by sundown in the winter, what is that, like 6 o'clock? Yeah, I would say somewhere around there. Why? 
I'm just saying that's impressive for 1985. There's no group text. There's no Facebook. There's no social media. And they got people out and about quick. That is very true. So not only do they have all these volunteers, they have the CB Rangers along with their bloodhounds. State police and anyone they can find, the bloodhounds never pick up any scent of Sherry from what I could find. The police questioned the kids on the bus and some of the kids recall a blue van that had a mural, a mural, I'm sorry, of a snow-capped mountain and a skier painted on both sides. The skier was wearing red and yellow clothing and was skiing down the hill that was telling the bus. They speak to Debbie Burke that recalls seeing the van in her rearview mirror. This is really the only lead the police have to follow and set out and search for the van. If they aren't a suspect, suspect, at least they could be a witness. I mean, that sounds pretty specific as far as the van goes, so that shouldn't be that hard to find, I would think, especially in a small town. That was actually my thought, but this would be a short podcast if that was what happened. So this was thought to be a 70s van, and oddly enough, a lot of people had vans and murals on their vans. In fact, within two and a half years of this case, a state trooper said he had over 2,000 vans he had registered with a mural that was very similar to that. Now, I can't say where all of these vans were registered. I would assume not all in this town, but in nearby towns as well. I just had no idea that it was that that popular of a vehicle. I'm the same age as Cherry, and I remember vans being more popular, but I don't remember all the murals they had going on. So what about her mom and her stepdad? Are they looking at... Um then the suspect is all. And what about like the biological father? Is he in the picture? Is he a possible suspect? So Janice got pregnant with Cherry when she was just 15 and had her when she was 16. Janice claimed she was impregnated when she was raped. She did report it to police. They either didn't believe her or there wasn't enough evidence. I don't know. But he wasn't convicted. Janice meets Leroy McKinney, a Vietnam vet who she marries after having Cherry. He takes on the role of her father. Cherry's biological father is not and has never been in the picture. The police question both Janice and Leroy, even give them a lie detector test, which they both pass, although we know that lie detector tests aren't admissible in court because they are so faulty, but that's beside the point. They question her biological father, or should we call him a sperm donor, and find he has nothing to do with this. No one is coming up with any leads. The community raised $39,000 for reward money for anyone that could give the police information to find Cherry. There was a business in the area that pledged $10,000 for information leading to the arrest. And Danica, where did we get the rundown on pledge and donate? Oh, my gosh. That would be the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Honestly, there really isn't anything to go on after three months. Cherry would be featured on Have You Seen on the Have You Seen Me cards. Her picture, along with the drawing of the van, were placed in utility bills and mailed to thousands of people. This wasn't just in the area. This was all over. And I remember getting these since most things are just taken out of the bank directly. I don't know if we still have these. I don't know if they still exist, but you used to get them just in the mail too. And 
I don't know if I've gotten one in a while, but there is no loss in the way of tips that they don't even seem to pan out at all. Danica, I know you have no idea who Meredith Baxter is, but she used to play on a show called Family Ties that aired back in the 80s, and I loved it. And at the height of her career, she and her then-husband, David uh, Bronny, co-hosted a show called Missing. Have you seen this person? I honestly don't remember this show at all, and apparently it didn't last a long time. The gist of the show was they featured missing people on the show in hopes of getting their face and name out there on a broader scale in hopes to get information. They featured Cherry's case there. They did a reenactment like you would see on ID or Oxygen shows. The odd part is they got her actual classmates to do this and the kids from the bus to be in the show. They didn't hire actors. They got the kids themselves that lived through this. What? I mean, I guess you save money, but this had to affect these kids. Did it seem to? It seems like it would give them more issues. And I'm sure they were already terrified. Their friend is gone. That's what I thought, but from what I found, it didn't negatively harm them that we know of in any way. None have reported having issues, and in fact, they seem to enjoy it. I mean, they got to see themselves on TV. And the show aired from 9 to 10 on Wednesday, April 23rd, 1986. By 6 p.m. the following day, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children had more than 300 calls. They received more calls about Cherry than they had any other person on the show. Unfortunately, the tips didn't lead anywhere. The majority of the tips were people reporting sightings of Cherry on the van. Or, I'm sorry, or the van. They did get a report by two 12-year-old girls in August of 1987. A van matching the description of the van that was sighted when Cherry went missing was seen in Belfort Center, County. It followed the girls down an alley and with its headlights out. Then a man with a ski mask got out and chased them. They obviously got away and that person and the van were never located either. How far away is Belafont from Cabot? It's about two and a half hours. Hey everyone, I'm Laura. And I'm Jill. And we are the hosts of Crime Divers Podcast. We are Scottish sisters who tell each other true crime cases that other hasn't heard of. New episodes are released every Tuesday and you can find us on your favourite podcast platform. So what are you waiting for? Grab your wetsuit and join us as we dive into the world of true crime. But remember, watch watch out for those sharks! In 2013, Shanice went before the judge to officially have Cherry declared dead. You can do this after seven years of a disappearance, but she waited 13 years. Is there a reason for it? I know people do that for life insurance purposes, but if they don't have anything to gain, what exactly is the point? A few months before Sherry's disappearance, she was in a car wreck in which she broke her arm. She was awarded $3,500 in a settlement from the insurance. To move this in a trust for Sherry and her mother, they wanted or they wanted to take this money and give it to her now brother. Wait, her brother? I don't remember a brother. 
He was born four years after Sherry went missing. So Janice also donated the 50000 that had been collected over the years as a reward for information to bring Sherry home to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. While she was legally declared dead, Janice says she's not giving up and she still wants to know what happened to her daughter. Tips and leads seem to always trickle in. In 2014, the police got a tip that Cherry may be alive and well living in Michigan, but under a different name. This woman had been adopted as a child and was not sure of where she may have come from. Through DNA testing, she was ruled out as Cherry. Like, what's going on with the parents that adopted her that made her think she'd been possibly kidnapped? Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't find a lot on that, but... I, I don't know. It's been known to happen. But yeah, I was thinking, what makes you think that that that, that is you? I don't know. That's That just was odd. So in summer of 2018, Janice receives a letter from someone calling themselves Pastor Justice. In the letter, he or she says that they know who killed Cherry, why they, why they killed her and where her body was. She turned the letter over to the police to investigate. The police also received a tip that they should search in an Armstrong junkyard and an old mine shaft, and all the leads have been dead ends. I wonder if someone's actually telling you the truth or whether it's a cruel joke. Right. And, you know, so many people just, they think they're doing the right thing, and it truly is not. Cherry was the first child featured on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children mailers. And several years ago, they released an age progression photo of her as an adult. This February marked 38 years since Sherry went missing. Her mother has never given up hope of finding her or what happened to her. The police say they are still working the case and still get calls and tips about the case. They check all of them. With all the time that's gone by, many are no longer living to give statements. Not to mention the police just never had anything to go on except a possible van. If you have any information on this case, please call 1-800-843-5678. Let's hope this case gets solved so Janice can have some answers and put Cherry to rest properly. I just take this for this whole family and I can't even believe that they're still getting Tips and everything in Danica after 38 years. Yeah, almost four decades. That's a long time to still be getting tips and it not being, you know, ice cold. Normally that's what we hear about in these missing cases from back then, especially with this little of evidence is, you know, it just kind of fizzles out and goes cold. And um, so it's, it is really impressive that they're still getting tips. Um, and hopefully Janice can have some answers. I cannot imagine what she's going through. Um, and I know that um, since this, her husband has also passed. So, um, you know, at least her and her son who has an older sister that he, you know, never even got to meet. That's just, just crazy to me. That's true. But And, and then you wonder the leads that are coming in. 
do these people really have leads or are they just messing with her? Because we know one lead came in around Cherry's birthday and like is this on the news or something that brings this up and yeah, she got the letter um around Cherry's birthday and um but I guess the police have not you know, obviously that didn't pan out since they said they knew where the body was. Um, or maybe they didn't tell her. Maybe they just said that they know. I yeah. guess that's possible. Um, I just hope people wouldn't be that cool to, to think this is funny or let's do this as a joke. But we see things like that all the time. Honestly, with the fact that it was signed off as pastor justice, that there makes me feel like it's a joke. Like religion and justice being part of it. And I mean, I could be wrong. There could be, you know, yeah. pastor justice out there, but something about that just when I saw that that was who wrote it seemed like it was a, a ploy. That's true. But let's do hope and that they get some kind of resolution to this. Yes. Before Janice is gone and before everybody else is gone that's in this case. Yeah, so again, that number, if you have any information at all on this case, is 1-800-843-5678. And again, a huge shout out to Steph Kress for sending this case to us. We hope that you enjoyed. We always recommend more bubbly and less OJ. Cheers! If you'd like to see pictures from today's episode, you can find us at murder.mimosas on Instagram. You can also find us at murder.mimosas on TikTok, Twitter. And if you have a case you would like us to do, you can send that to murder.mimosas at gmail.com. And lastly, we are on Facebook at Murder and Mimosas Podcast, where you can interact with us there. We love any type of feedback you can give us. So please rate and review us on Spotify iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you.